It's midday. In the wake of the storm, the cleanup after yesterday's one in 100 year event, dozens still trapped and holiday hotspots are, in, are inundated by delayed travellers. Fire breaks out across London as the city swelters through a heat wave. That was TVNZ's midday news last Wednesday, headlining freezing wet weather and floods in the South Island and Europe burning up on the other side of the world. But a few other things happened here in the previous 24 hours as well, many of them not great. Inflation up again, more COVID deaths and hospitalisations and more health system stress. And the Prime Minister and the Governor-General were pictured in Parliament unmasked. But Wednesday's TVNZ Midday News began like this. Kia ora, good afternoon. It's understood New Zealand Rugby's board is meeting today to review the All Blacks' history-making defeat to Ireland. The All Blacks suffered both their first defeat to the Irish on New Zealand soil and first series loss to Ireland. New Zealand Rugby Chief Executive Mark Robinson labelled the performance not acceptable. Indeed he did, fueling speculation about a big change at the top of the All Blacks. But TVNZ understood wrong there about that NZ Rugby board meeting. There wasn't one on Wednesday, though in that fevered atmosphere, TBNZ weren't the only ones saying so. There was also breathless reporting that day relating to another event that never happened, a post-match press conference with the coach last weekend that got cancelled, though no one told RNZ's Barry Guy. Uh, and <laughs> I didn't get the message, uh, and I turned up and uh, eventually uh, Joe Porter, our rugby reporter, told me, sorry, it's been cancelled, and I said, fair enough. Barry Guy on Morning Report last Wednesday, one of six rugby reporters who didn't get a heads up. But while Barry made it sound like no big deal for him, other rugby reporters turned it into one, as we'll hear. But none of that would have been an issue at all if this hadn't happened the night before. The crumbling of an all-black empire before our eyes. They win by ten. The all-blacks outplayed, outfought, outcoached, outscored. They are in big trouble. Sportscaster Elliot Smith there, sounding a bit like an angry teacher in his commentary for News Talk ZB, reprised on ZB's sports talk show last Monday. And also mashing up classic commentary from the occasion was the Irish podcast Second Captains. I repeat it, in case you didn't hear it the first time, Ireland have beaten New Zealand on a clear scoreline of Ireland 32, New Zealand 22. New Zealand belongs to Ireland. Oh, yes, yes. New Zealand belongs to Ireland. Well said. Bold call there by RTE's Michael Corcoran and the second captains in Dublin, who found that the win that ruined the weekend of All Blacks fans here set theirs up pretty nicely. They should just have more sporting events on Saturday morning at five past mm. eight. That's what I'm saying. It, it does give you a good run at the day, I have to say. It gives say. you a run at the day. It also, it just emotionally, you know where you stand. You know, mm. if you get beaten, fair, fair, fair enough. You know, the better team won. At least it's done. You can just, you can go ahead, re-enter the world for a few hours and mm. forget about it. But then when you win, it just puts you in a bloody brilliant move for everything that follows. <laughs> Second captains Owen and Murph, though, were pretty pleased that their team, dubbed the Dukes of Wellington by the Irish Independent newspaper, was shown respect here. Well, there was a lot of, like, very, you know, magnanimous handshakes and, you know, they, they do lose, you know, with, with, with dignity. I mean, they're, they don't have that much practice at it. Um, I mean, they will tear themselves apart, obviously. That's oh, fine. Oh, yeah, they absolutely That's are. Fine. And there was plenty of that in the media here this past week. On News Talk ZB's Sunday Sport the day after the big defeat, Jason Pine kicked off with this. I can't believe.
get it out, the Irish. Who wants to do the honours? Carberry. Final score, 32-22. U2's Sunday Bloody Sunday is a 40-year-old song about civil rights protesters shot dead in Londonderry 50 years ago. But last weekend, ZB's Jason Pine said the All Blacks ended up on the wrong side of a piece of rugby history. And no sooner had they ended up on the wrong side of that final score, some sports journalists here were settling scores with the powers that be in New Zealand rugby. Within minutes of the final whistle, for example, Hamish Bidwell wrote this on RNZ's live blog of the game. I have to say, it all amuses me. Having had to bow and scrape at all times and put up with the All Blacks' constant talk about their own exceptionalism, I can't say I feel for them. Media tend to be wary of criticising the coaching staff and team and New Zealand rugby for fear of repercussions. But it might be open season after this. Nothing should be off the table, Hamish Bidwell said, as the search begins for scapegoats and answers. But scapegoating people means to blame them publicly for something bad that wasn't actually their fault, so possibly not the word he was really reaching for there in the emotional aftermatch aftermath. The next morning on RNZ's website, pundit Jamie Wall also angrily pointed the finger at NZ Rugby. They let everything under the All Blacks wither and die, then presented the team as some sort of infallible, unimpeachable group that can never be questioned. Under the headline, When You Accept Mediocrity, This Is What Happens, Jamie Wall wasn't quite as gracious as some to the Irish. Ireland have gone from being a fun little sideshow to a team that now possesses a majority of players that have beaten the All Blacks more times than they've lost to them. A child born last year in New Zealand has had to endure more All Black losses to Ireland in their lifetime than a 100-year-old who passed away in 2019. But not many people would measure their time on the planet against that sort of benchmark, you'd think. And one of them was Marcus Lush on News Talk ZB a day and a half later. I don't need the All Blacks to be the best in the world to make me feel good. So maybe I'm out of kilter, maybe I've got no passion. But I don't think it's the end of the world. And while he was at it last Monday night, Marcus Lush pointed the finger at all the pundits and experts in the media. What even is the point of having commentators or people whose job it is to predict the scores when they, when they feel they can only back the home, the home team? That's part of the problem. They need to stop being cheerleaders and start calling the game like it was. But when Marcus Lush told his listeners the coach wasn't playing, it was a red rag to talkback callers calling in for the head of Ian Foster, and some rugby writers were as well. In the Herald, for example, Liam Napier said NZ Rugby is believed to be adopting a considered, compassionate approach to the all-black slump. But in the same article, he calculated that axing the existing coaching team entirely would involve a payout in excess of $2 million. Now, New Zealand rugby didn't exactly dampen speculation by suddenly scrapping a press conference with the All Blacks coach the morning after the third test loss. That became a story all on its own 48 hours later, after communications consultant Mike Jaspers, a former TVNZ journalist and NZ rugby PR man himself, criticised that decision on the social media platform LinkedIn. Losing is bad enough, he said, but indecision off the field is damaging for fans, the brand and the morale of the team, he said, adding hashtag team, hashtag media, hashtag brand, hashtag all blacks. Mike Jaspers went on to say the media needs voices, not statements, and if you don't fill the vacuum, someone else will. And as if to make that point, the Herald then turned that into a story almost immediately on Tuesday afternoon. 
And then another one when the current All Black Senior Communications Officer Joe Malcolm responded to Mike Jaspers on the same platform, explaining the decision like this. The media didn't want answers. They wanted a coach to step down. It was my decision, not Ian Foster's, not to front. So I'll wear that. I was protecting people who have been subject to two weeks of hammering in the media. Now, an exchange of opinions on a social media platform for professionals is no big deal, usually, but this decision was still leading News Hub at Six Sports Bulletin three days later. There's been an extraordinary admission today from the team's media manager. This caused a heck of an uproar on Sunday morning, didn't Andrew? And rightly so, let's be clear. It is not uncommon for the All Blacks coach to front the day after a test, let alone at the end of a test series. So why was it exactly that NZ Rugby did can that press conference? The All Blacks team media manager, they've posted on social media today saying that Ian Foster is a human being who they wanted to protect. They also add that they thought that Ian Foster needed a bit of time to think about what he wanted to say at a time when journalists were, quote, out for blood. Now, online, News Hub reported that under the headline Team Management Claiming Responsibility for Cancelled Media Conference as if it was an act of terrorism. And in her longer online post, the All Blacks comms manager Jo Malcolm told her followers she was losing faith in people's ability to be journalists, PR people and humans. And she added, I now understand why Naomi Osaka refused to do press conferences. It's brutal when you lose and tough questions need to be asked. When tennis star Naomi Osaka cited her mental health to dodge obligatory press conferences, it split the sporting media worldwide last year. Some reporters felt top sports stars couldn't just dismiss commitments that were important to the media, which also counted as content that the events are supposed to create. But for the spin-off, sportscaster Scotty Stevenson penned a scorching satire announcing that the next All Blacks test could be cancelled on account of the PR people and the media being mean and demanding. But a stuff story on Joe Malcolm's call to can the press conference, which was credited to unnamed stuff sports staff, appeared to endorse it. Malcolm's human-first approach is what reviewers in various sports have been calling for. The review into cycling, which was established following the suspected suicide of Olympic cyclist Olivia Podmore, found an emphasis on results in medals over athletes as human beings is detrimental to their mental health and well-being. Meanwhile, back on LinkedIn, other PR professionals backed Joe Malcolm as well. Chin up, Joe, said Peter Parasini, a former NZ rugby PR man who's now a governor at RNZ. Yet Ian Foster is no young, fragile sports star finding his way in the world, and NZ Rugby has no qualms about maximising the exposure of their players, young and old, to promote their sponsors' products. And it seems that sections of the media are in two minds about all this as well. After last weekend's defeat, Martin Devlin on the platform couldn't agree more with his former radio sport host Matt Gunn in a slot called, ironically, Let's Be Positive. Well, I mean, I and feel the very positive about they that. shouldn't have cancelled the press conference. They're men, yeah. right? Yeah. They're grown-ups. Yeah. You know, you are essentially funded by the people that want to hear that. Yeah. They're, they're essentially oh, funded, yeah. funded by the media yeah. and the public. And to run away for whatever reason and decide not to discuss it, yeah, yeah, I agree. and I think yeah. it was gutless and stupid. But before the defeat in The Decider, Martin Devlin had also asked Ian Foster's predecessor, Steve Hansen, about the pressure on the shoulders of any All Blacks coach. 
Steve, I mean, I've worked with you for a long time, and I know that you know you get a thick skin and you can cope with criticism and you can cope with honest analysis. It's all the other BS and the clickbait headlines and all the personal stuff that really offends me, and especially when it's directed at a guy like Ian Foster, who I don't think is getting a, an even break from the media here. Uh, well, there's probably two fractions, really. I think one, Ian knows that um, the job comes with criticism. He's been in it long enough to understand that, and any all-black coach understands that, and... You don't want ever that to change, but it's got to be reasonably um, informed, I think, rather than emotional. And at the moment, we're getting a bit emotional, I think. Couldn't agree more, Martin Devlin told Steve Hansen there, and that was more or less the tone of that long chat. Now, Steve Hansen had confidently predicted a response from the All Blacks last weekend, and as we now know, that didn't happen. But in that chat, even Steve Hansen almost the winningest All Blacks coach ever, said that winning shouldn't be everything, even for All Blacks fans who love the game. You know, it wasn't that long ago that everyone was bemoaning that you know rugby was getting boring because the All Blacks were winning. Too, yes, too yes, easy. I remember that. I remember that mm. at the time and said how bloody ridiculous it was. And just last week, Hanson's predecessor Graham Henry brought down the curtain on Match Fit, a TV series in which ex-All Blacks, who are out of shape, together discover there's much more to life than winning with the All Blacks. When I was first asked to do this thing, I thought, oh, yeah, 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 no, no problem, I'd like to do that. And then I got involved and I thought, shit, this is important. Really is a really important message. And I said to Ray when I said, look, I feel very privileged to be involved in this. Now, Phil Gifford is a sports journalist who's seen it all before. In the past, he's called for the heads of coaches of underperforming all-black teams. And he's also fielded the uptight anguish of angry fans as a radio host. OK, well, Phil, obviously, when the all-blacks lose, there's a lot of coverage, there's a lot of attention, commentary, analysis, and all of it. Now, that press conference that was called off on the Sunday, obviously, that's annoying for the media that want the chance to put questions. Um, but was it really as big a deal as the news media made it, made it out to be that press conference? Well, bizarrely enough, yes, it probably was. If you go back to the last time that the media was really in full tooth and claw mode against the coach, I think we're probably going back to 1998 when John Hart was coaching the All Blacks and they lost five test matches in a row. Now, even during that period, the All Black public relations person at the time was a very good journalist called Jane Dent who had covered the America's Cup for television New Zealand. And Jane was still getting John Hart or sometimes Wayne Smith, who was working with him as backs coach, they were still actually answering questions from the media. I understand entirely the sentiments, if you like, and the feeling of that Ian Foster needed a break, and the poor bloke probably did. But in the end, I actually think it was. In a sport, particularly a sport maybe that prides itself on things, basically, to be honest, with the All Blacks, as butch and macho as the rugby is. It was probably a bad error to actually um, drop a press conference at such short notice for such obvious reasons. But is there a bit of score settling going on here, Phil? Because, for example, just minutes after the match, Hamish Bidwell, writing on RNZ's website, said, look, for years we as journalists have had to bow and scrape to a rugby union that only wanted uh, you know, complimentary coverage of, of the All Blacks. Uh, and and you know, he was clearly annoyed about that. Uh, David Moffat, former chief executive of, of NZ Rugby, uh, also on RNZ, said, you know, this is an outfit that will not tolerate criticism. Um, so is there a sense of now that they've inflamed the journalists, it's the journalists now taking the opportunity to put the boot in? The New Zealand Rugby has never had a warm and glowing relationship with rugby writers, but I do actually think on the other side of the coin, 
it's not actually as bad as possibly some journalists feel that it is. I don't think anyway. I mean, look, I've been called the biggest prick unhung by one All Black coach in, in my day. I was told by another All Black coach in the 1990s, it wasn't John Hart, that he would make sure no other, no All Black would ever speak to me ever again. And the fact is, we tend to forget that particularly coaches and players for that matter are actually human beings as well. So if you've written something or said something on air that they're not happy with, there's going to be some grumpiness. Is there a deliberate policy to make it difficult for journalists? At times it can feel like that. But by and large, I actually don't think that the relationship between the media and the New Zealand rugby union as it was, or New Zealand rugby as it is now, is perhaps quite as bad as some people are picturing it. And I'm somebody that actually goes to the test matches because I'm interested to see that some of the criticism, uh, really biting criticism of New Zealand rugby as a New Zealand rugby officialdom, has come from people that I haven't seen at the test match for years. Journalists are now complaining that this New Zealand rugby union uh, kind of demands that journalists portray the All Blacks as, you know, an unimpeachable brand that can't be criticised. I mean, there is tons of criticism of them and New Zealand rugby officials, isn't there? Yeah, very much so. I mean, I would have thought that if, in fact, New Zealand rugby shut down the media uh, completely, then exactly how on earth would so many stories that say that the All Blacks are rubbish, that Foster should be sacked and so on and so forth, how on earth could all of those stories somehow get through, get on air? I saw a remark this week, for example, um, on the Stuff website where it said, oh, we've got an All Black coach whose nickname is the same as a Muppet's sort of really snidey little backstabbing stuff like that. If I was in the New Zealand in, in the New Zealand rugby annual New Zealand rugby, then I would feel a bit aggrieved about that too. One of the comments about that press conference issue, Dana Johansson at stuff, uh, she said that the intervention of Joe Malcolm uh, to say I needed to protect uh, the perhaps the captain and and the coach of the All Blacks from uh, you know media that and who was wanted blood. Yeah. She said the way she responded these are Dana's words, reflects a chronic lack of understanding of the media's role within the rugby ecosystem. Um, maybe it reflects a pretty acute understanding of uh, the media's power uh, over the, over to, to shape the discussion because, you know, that, that would have been a hostile event. It would have been highly critical of, of Foster. It would have been uncomfortable. And that's part of the reason why she did what she did. Yes, I totally agree that it, it would have been a hostile press conference in many, many ways. Uh, but... Again, I go back to John Hart in, in 1998 and to Jane Dent, who was a public relations person then. She'd been in the press box with us, I think, and, and she'd scribbled some notes down, and she'd written them during the game, but before the end of the game, and it was basically some thoughts about what John Hart might say if the All Blacks lost. And at the time, oh, look at this, look, it just shows how negative they are. But in actual fact, looking back on it, I think that what Jane Dent was doing was just very, very sensible, that... Surely that's the role of a public relations person is to go to the coach or the captain or whoever's going to have to front a hostile media and say, this is how we're going to do it. You're going to say this, this, this and this. Or what would you like to say? Yes, I think you should do that. No, you, no, you shouldn't do that. Rather than what happened in the end, like the optics I thought were dreadful. You watching on television news and Paul Ian Foster taking what looked like a walk of shame through the all-black team bus. Now, none of that would have happened if they had sat down and quietly said, we, these are the questions we believe will be asked, and let's be honest, I would say your next-door neighbour down the road's cousin could have worked out what questions the media were going to ask on Sunday morning after that dreadful game. Uh, these are the questions that are going to be asked. How do you think you should go about answering this? And steering, without putting completely words into his mouth, steering Ian Foster towards suitable answers to some pretty hostile questions.
Well, that desire to shield Ian Foster and possibly uh, Sam Cain from questioning in a morning after press conference, do you think that was genuine and, and if so, actually laudable? Because, I mean, for example, just this week we've seen uh, High Performance Sport New Zealand release its review of the New Zealand cycling problems, a 10-point action plan to protect the people that are you know, under pressure, not just from media, but because of the demands of high-performance sport. Is that fair and appropriate in your mind? I think it's a laudable thing to try and protect people who you feel may be damaged by it. What I would suggest is that these are two highly intelligent and very, very mature guys. Sam Kane was one of those people. The reason he was in the All Black senior group when he was only about 21 or 22 years old is because he has a maturity well beyond his years. Um, I think they would both be more than capable of dealing with that. On the professional side of things, it, it was, I still believe, the wrong thing to do. There's enough support inside the All Blacks and there's enough time, especially they had till the next morning, to work out what they were going to say. And as I've said, these are mature guys that have the support of a group behind them. Do you regret calling for the head of John Hart all those years ago, you know, in, in, in fairly personal terms? Very much so. I, I don't regret the fact that I felt that he needed to be replaced before the 1991 rugby, uh, 1999, I mean, sorry, Rugby World Cup after five losses in 1998. What I do regret is I wrote things about him that basically painted him like uh, an absolute villain of the century and and made it very, very personal, which it kind of was, too, because we'd known each other since we were teenagers. And at one stage, we're actually quite good friends. Only If I'd limited myself to saying, I don't think he's the right man for the job, and these are the sort of almost technical reasons why I think that's happening, rather than making it a personality issue, which is what I did. And I mean, don't me I wasn't alone, but that's no excuse. Hunting with the pack is, isn't an excuse for bad behaviour by, by yourself. And, I, and it was, at times, it bordered on vicious, really. And so, yeah, I actually do regret that. Whether other people, when they look back on their lives in 20 or 30 years' time, will regret some of the things I've said about Ian Foster, well, that remains to be seen. For, for example, just to pick one, Duncan Garner, the Today FM host, he went on here saying, look, it's, it's every Kiwi's birthright to have an all-black team that will fight for them. And, and then his fellow host later on the day, Lloyd Burr, who's not so emotional about it comes on and says oh, I can't believe I heard that from Duncan I mean you know good teams will lose sometimes you know get over it. it's just a game that sort of do you think do you think a lot of this stuff is genuine or it's just media engagement you know that it's actually kind of performative yeah it's hard to tell isn't it I mean the famous clickbait issue when you when you're saying things that will rev up talkback radio for example there are people, and I'm one of them, who I grew up in the era when the All Blacks were like gods that walked the earth. If you are a rugby tragic, then there's this bizarre sort of thing where the whole dream of your life... For example, talking about rugby tragics, how much it can mean to people. John Wright, a great cricketer, lovely man, terrific coach. And John Wright, who captained New Zealand the cricket, said to me one day, we were playing touch footy together about 20, 30 years ago, and he said, you know... I'd give up every test I played for New Zealand if I couldn't have five minutes in an all-black jersey. And so <laughs> that's how much the all-blacks could mean to people. So getting back to it, it feels very, very, very personal when the all-blacks don't play well.